0: has a very distinct formula since Todd Simon took over. They load up on transfers. They often do not care if those transfers are not eligible until semester. And then they often are, I shouldn't say often, I think that most coaches around the Big Sky Conference would tell you that Southern Utah is and has been one of the scariest teams because they are absolutely one of the most physically talented teams. They have often struggled early in conference play because they add like quite literally half of their rotation to the squad. Once they become eligible
1: at And so like they,
0: they start out big sky conference play with no one being, having any sort of familiarity with them. But then by the end of the year, I was just actually having this discussion on Twitter and I actually was doing a little stats breakdown since the big sky tournament went to a neutral site. Weber state has won Nine Big Sky tournament games. Montana has won eight. The reason that Montana has won less is because they actually got to buy one year. They, Montana went over in Travis Secures. Uh, I guess it would have been third season. Yeah, the second year in Reno, they, they lost to yep. the first game to Idaho. But uh, so that kind of hindered that win total. But Weber had eight. Montana had... Or excuse me. We were at nine. Montana had eight. And Eastern Washington has five, which is the exact same number as Southern Utah. They've won multiple games in the conference tournament three out of the four times that yeah. it's been at a neutral site. So even though they might... I mean, the highest they finished in the league standings the seventh is seventh since the neutral site and since Todd Simon took over. But they've been playing in the quarter or semifinals every year. So the formula to have patience is it has worked. But this year... They're better early out the yeah. gates because they haven't done the mass transfer thing. Now all those guys are still on the team and they have a core, but then they also have added certain great transfers like Cameron Oluitton from Boise State and uh, Dwayne Morgan from UNLV. And they have an Arizona State transfer now that's about to be implemented into the mix. So they have a totality It'll be interesting to uh, to talk to Chris about this because uh, he, this is, he's pretty new to the beat, but I think he'll probably have some pretty good insights for us. Uh,
1: it is worth noting, November 29th, I realize it's West Coast Baptist College. Okay, probably not a basketball power. Southern Utah beat WCBC 126 to 40. Stupid. I mean, that's an if 86 the big point wanted to... win, and the and the largest in the history of the conference. Is that right? The biggest margin it, it's of the victory? Mar-
0: largest margin of victory in conference history. Yes. If the big guy wanted to, th- there's. There's been a renewed effort to get Big Sky men's basketball to break what is the longest streak of no tournament wins of any conference in the country. Every conference in the country, all 32 conferences, have all except for the Big Sky. 31 out of 32 conferences has seen a team win a game in the NCAA tournament since the last time a Big Sky team won a game mm-hmm. in the NCAA tournament in 2006 when Larry Kristovic Grizzlies beat Nevada. Since that's the longest drought of any Division 1 conference. The Big Sky, and there's been a lot of uh, steps taken towards trying to change that. And I know a lot of people, especially a lot of people that are listening to this show, hate the neutral site tournament because so often the Grizz and the Lady Grizz hosted the tournament. And I think I know like Montana State, they women. You know, they've won the league two out of the last three years, but they never got a chance to host the tournament because of the neutral site. But the neutral site was implemented to help the champions have a better chance in the tournament because then you're used to playing at a neutral site. You're used to not. I mean, the Lady Grizz are the perfect example. They rode their home court advantage to NCAA tournament berths multiple times. And they won the Big Sky Tournament Championship when they arguably weren't the best team in the league. But you can't say that they weren't. They hosted the tournament and then won the league tournament. But there were so many times where, like the last time the tournament was in Missoula, When they came back from 19 points down with 15 minutes to go against Northern Colorado and they just rode the home crowd all the way to a win, but then they go to the first round of the tournament and lose by 40, that's what the league was trying to avoid. But if the league wanted to really take this thing seriously from a scheduling perspective, everybody talks about how hard it is for Big Sky teams to get games. It is, but also you can't kill the whole rest of the league by playing whatever the school you just said is. Stop playing Port- Portland Bible College. Stop playing that school. Yeah. Winning games by 70 and 80 points does nothing because when you win that game, it lowers your RPI. And then if you win or lose other games against your league, you're killing the whole league's RPI by playing those games. Hmm. So if they wanted to, they should just eliminate playing non... I, I don't know. I don't know what the rule would be. That, that's an NAIA school, right? Maybe you have to be at least NCAA-affiliated to be an opponent of a big-sky school. I just think it's nice to win by 86. That's all. That's I don't, all. See, I just don't think that does anything for you.
1: It's just for fun. We're just trying to. Have I know. Something. I understand. Uh, Let's talk about this last weekend. Let's do that, Coulter, shall we? Uh, Montana played Sacramento State, the men on uh, on Saturday. Or excuse me, on Monday night in Missoula, and it didn't look good for the Grizzlies early on. In fact, they scored twenty points in the first half of this basketball game. Sacramento State they have an outstanding defense. They have one of not the top scoring defense in the country significantly that is because they have uh one of the lowest paces of play in the country yeah. so playing great defense is also assisted by playing slowly average, which is when you're about a, scoring
0: defense they average about 20 seconds per possession
1: yeah uh and notably you can only have is it 24 30 or 30 seconds is on 30 right okay yeah. uh so it's it's it was not a pretty basketball game by any standard uh, that you could possibly imagine, but it was a very close game and the last couple minutes of this game were were really frenetic and interesting and fun. Jared Samuelson, by the way, uh, had his biggest day uh, as a Grizz for the second time. 17 points, 8 rebounds, including 3 of 5 from beyond the arc. The big fellow stepping out, stretching the floor. And uh, S- Sacramento State, one of the bigger teams in the Big Sky Conference, and uh, he did a an outstanding job uh, really on both ends, but particularly offensively of, uh, of going out and knocking down some three point uh, shots. I had Pridget 14 points, eight rebounds, but Kendall Manuel, maybe the player of the game in the following sense, 13 points, but hit the final two free throws to put the Grizzlies ahead. Uh, the Montana, Montana put Sacramento state on the line with like five seconds to go. Uh, and a one-on-one opportunity missing the missed, The free throws. In fact, no, it was two shots and missed both of them. And Montana got the ball, forced it up, got the ball all the way on the inbounds pass to half court, which is a big no no defensively. I mean, you can't let them move the ball all the way up to, uh, to half court. Anyway, Kendall Manuel caught the ball, went on a drive, and Fell over slash was tripped. Got the call anyway. Went to the uh, line for a one and one. Made them both, and Sacramento State was not able to to, to cash in a you know a buzzer buzzer beating hoist. So Montana gets the win, they get out of dodge, and this is what Travis DeCure had to say about his team following this game, a very, very happy Travis DeCure.
0: You know, this group's dialed in right now. Uh, We just ended the game two nights back-to-back. Like a team that knows how to finish off close games, a week ago we struggled with that. Three weeks ago we struggled with that. So I think we're going up a little bit, and hopefully we can continue to do that.
1: I mean, look. This is what it matters, and to be two and zero, uh, especially when you know you had, well, you had a young team, very young team still, and had struggled obviously to close games out in some of the non-conference spots, uh, to get this done in back-to-back nights for Montana is really big. Travis asked about how important it is, obviously, to be two and zero, especially when there's such a wide-open schedule or wide-open league right now in the Big Sky Conference.
0: This is huge. You know, it, it, you, you got to win at home. You know, I tell these guys, you get one point for a home win. You get two, depending on who it is, three on a road win, you know. And, and to me, it's three points if it's a team that's going to finish in the top half. We don't know who that is right now, so they're all worth three. But this is a league. It's hard to win on the road. Travel is hard. And you got to find a way. You got to take care of your business at home if you're ever going to finish in the top half.
1: So they did that, they're 2-0, and now Montana has three consecutive road games to go. They go Southern Utah, Northern Arizona, no, no, who are they? Northern Northern Colorado, Colorado. and then Eastern Washington. So that is their next three all on the road. So huge to get that win uh, on Monday for the Grizzlies.
0: Well, it's it, the uh, the four games in eight days, followed by then the the five games in twelve days, three of them being on the road, mm-hmm. is the hardest stretch that every league team is going to have to endure. Every team in the league had to do it f- twice last year. I can't. I, I haven't analyzed every single team's schedule, but I know for a fact the Montana schools played their only Monday game of the year on Monday. This Monday. So so this so this, Monday, so this yeah. opening stretch is the hardest stretch. And you can look at it two ways, depending on the men or the women, because it's going to be five games in 12 days, but the women are going to have three in a row at home, whereas the men are going to have three in a row on the road. So it's if Montana can emerge from this stretch in decent shape, they'll be in decent shape one-fourth of the way through the conference schedule. I Honestly, I'm not taking too much out of these victories by any of the four teams. I do think that Northern Arizona women are better they, the, the the Women's League has had a couple doormats that have been historic, epic doormats. Northern Arizona and Southern Utah have been so bad the last couple years, and that's why it was such a referendum that the Lady Grizz lost to Southern Utah in the conference tournament last year, because mm-hmm. Southern Utah was like a five-win team four years in a row. Yes, and uh, But NAU with Lori Payne, who's a Montana native, she's from Haver, they're a lot better than they have been, and they were competitive against both Montana and Montana State, but what weird games! I mean, the announced the announced attendance at the two NAU games was 200. It was like 204 and 208. And announced attendance is almost always exaggerated. So how many yes. people were actually there? Like when you watched it on the live stream, depending on what angle they were shown at, there was no people in the stands. Yeah. None. Like the only people that were there were the people that were sitting on the press row. Yeah, which is just crazy. Um, but sometimes I think that can work to actually to your advantage. Because if you're Montana, Montana State, you're used to playing in front of thousands of people. So playing in front of no one, I mean, it's weird because it, yeah. it messes up the sight lines. Yeah. There's no energy in the yeah. arena. I mean, what a weird thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, it's always hard to go on the road and get wins. Uh, but I do think, man, uh, you know, I was talking to you at the, the game on Monday. You know, the best part about college sports is you never know who's going to emerge. And there's going to be some young men and some young women in this league that emerge. But as of right now, I'm just salty about covering this league this year because we've been spoiled the last couple of years. Especially, actually, not, I shouldn't say especially on the men's side. On both sides, there's been great players, yeah, really good players,
1: like all-time, all-conference types of, of
0: of players. Totally. Yeah. And the way I always say it is like we're fortunate enough that that we get press passes. But I always. I always describe it as what are the, who are the guys and the girls in the league that I would pay money to go see? And I mean, obviously I'm a sports guy so I would go pay money to see a lot of games but who's who's a big ticket sure. buy, right? You expect 13 guys in the league that were really big ticket type players mm-hmm. and those guys, there's just not as many of those guys anymore and I, and I also think that it's skewed because there's so much mystery around Montana State. Still, they went two and zero, but they still have a first year head coach and, by and large, a brand new roster. <laughs> yeah, so and and Montana an and Montana, you like you like the potential. And, and the one thing I will say about the Sachs Day game, and you heard it there with Coach Dakir, Montana, they communicated a lot better down the stretch. And I think the hardest part about watching the Men grizz leading up to this weekend was just how clunky they looked. Mm-hmm. They just weren't locked in. They don't flow. Yep and Make no mistake, Monday was a horribly grotesque basketball. Game. <laughs> I mean there was there was no flow to it whatsoever. Yeah. But Montana looked better down the stretch, especially communicating defensively, and they were able to close out the game, and I think that it, it will be a big building block for the team.
1: Coulter, you have a business, and your business is based in the world wide web. Indeed
0: I do. So I'm on my computer all the time.
1: And if you're not online, you're not making money, and it is important to make sure that you're online and Secure, am I right?
0: Absolutely. Gotta be cyber
1: safe this day and age. Well, for you business owners out there, whether you have an online business or a brick and mortar business, it's still running through the web. We all know that's a fact. And in today's always on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security.
0: At Blackfoot Communications, they deliver state of the art security solutions from the perimeter to the endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across the state of Montana.
1: They do. They're keeping everybody cyber secure and ensuring that businesses run the way that they need to
0: across the state. So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more
1: information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure Online with Blackfoot. 2 tell two 102.9 ESPN Radio. Jared Samuelson, as we mentioned, 17 points, eight rebounds, a huge game for him. He was asked about the last two minutes and what it was like playing in the last two minutes of stadium that what was about 3,800 announced attendance on uh, Monday night and uh, it got loud in Dahlberg Arena coming down the stretch.
2: It was fun. The crowd here was amazing. It was
0: loud. You know, come down to the wire like that and end like that with us on top. Kendall hitting those clutch free
1: throws. That was that was a fun day. Speaking of clutch free throws, uh, Colter, you asked Kendall Manuel about that very thing and if he gets nervous in in a big spot standing there at the free throw line, this is what he said and then he carried on a little bit about the second free throw. It's a one-on-one situation so you got to make the first one uh, to get the second one. Here's what he had to say about being nervous. No, I, I feel like I played enough college basketball to kind of calm myself down and uh especially in those type of situations i feel comfortable and and i actually went over to coach Trav, and i i said like hey should i just miss this because there was two seconds left and if they touch it they they would have had to heave it across the court and either way it was going to be a three-point shot so i just told him hey coach should i just miss it and he was like yeah just make sure you hit the rim and i tried to miss it and it still went in because i shot it flat and tried to miss it but uh, (laughs) i guess it still wanted to go in (laughs) So he hits the first one, tries to get it, the the second one to rim off, and can't. I mean, that's when you know you got it going on from the free throw line. Let me tell you, when I, I I I almost thought I was wrong. Like, it was clearly a one-on-one opportunity. There was only nine team fouls on Southern Utah. And I thought maybe the scoreboard was wrong or something like that. Nobody went to the rebound block for Montana. Right. Kendall Manuel stood on the line for the front end of a one-on-one in a tie basketball game alone. I mean, how much confidence is that that a guy's going to put it in the hoop because he, the other four guys were already set back to defend as Travis Akir was setting up the, uh, the, the sort of what he you know knew was going to be the inbounds play or whatever. And then, of course, he tries to miss the second one. It doesn't. Uh, pretty funny uh, there out of Kendall Manuel. But a uh, huge win. Here's the thing. I'm with you, Coulter, on this. I don't take anything. By the way, Montana State, we should say, too, they had a lead. For basically most of the game uh, against Northern Arizona on Monday night, and Northern Arizona just kept cutting into it, cutting into it, cutting into it, ultimately tying the game late. And Layden Ricketts, who had been ice cold, goes out and makes his one three-pointer. You know, in the last minute of the game to give him a lead, and then ends up at the line, hits two free throws, scores his last, scores the last five points of the game, and Montana State wins by two uh, over NAU. I'm with you. There's. Uh, I'm not sitting here watching this team going, oh, like just w- wait because it's going to turn a corner. I think they are going to improve, no doubt about it. If there's any sort of sort of parabolic ascension where it's it's not just linear, but it's it's uh, 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 you know, what do I want to say to a power to an exponent right. uh, of of improvement? That's what we won't find out. If it's not that. I don't know how good either of these teams are ultimately going to be. But like you said, in a league that ultimately is down compared to what it's been the last couple of years, anybody can go out and do it. And being 2-0 to start is massive. It is just gigantic, especially when, as you pointed out, this is the toughest five-game stretch in terms of the scheduling side of it that these teams are going to
0: have this year. It's just so crazy how long the season is and all the things that can affect both your improvements and your erosion. I mean... More than any other sport, chemistry is so essential in the sport of basketball. When you're talking about young kids, that's even more fragile. And how many times have we seen teams show up, especially now at these neutral sites, where you know you might be coming in as the four or the five seed, and you might have won 13 or 14 league games, but you are not playing well at that moment. Right? Like Weber State has stumbled into the conference tournament each of the last two years, and they've had short stays at the conference tournament, including getting absolutely destroyed by Montana this last year. Because it just didn't seem like they even wanted to be there. Who's who's willing to – who wants to keep playing? I mean, look at Idaho a couple years ago. They had one of the great seasons they've had in the last 20 years. And just because of whatever was going on in that locker room, they straight up didn't show up. And as the two seed, they lost to the 10 seed in Southern Utah. Yep. So navigating not only the, the basketball portion of this, but just the volatility that comes with the fragility of the chemistry of a basketball team that's going to be the key. And so it is good to get two wins under your belt, but I think that you can never get too high or too low. You can't let two wins or two losses lead into anything else. You have to start over every week. But you got to win at home, just like Coach Takir said. And I think that that's big time for both the Grizz and the Bobcats. And it's even more big time no matter who you beat, even if NAU and Southern Utah are going to finish in the bottom half of the league, which I expect that to be the case on the women's side. You still won. You still swept a road trip, and if you sweep road trips, right. you, it's it's like winning. It's like winning an extra game, right? Because even if you just if you win all your games at home and you split on the road, you're going to be a top four seed. They're 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 all
1: worth two, if not three, as Travis Secure said, right? So no doubt. Uh, one final thing here, Colter, before we get into some bull stuff. But you talked about maybe some emerging players in this league. This You wouldn't have had this girl in the top three or four players on her own team to say the best player in the conference for the week, but the Montana Lady Grizz sophomore Abby Anderson is your Big Sky Conference Women's Basketball Player of the Week in the road sweep that the Lady Grizz just completed. She averaged 17.5 points and 6.5 rebounds for the Lady Grizz, Abby Anderson did. And uh, congratulations to her winning the Big Sky Conference Player of the Week. By the way, it's a sweep for the Grizzlies. Saeed Pritchett winning it for the men. Maybe a little bit more expected. That's his fourth one in his career, and obviously he's he is, you know, first-team uh, type of guy coming into this season. But but uh, pretty remarkable for Montana to sweep the awards and for it to be Abby Anderson as opposed to, you know, Eddie Gab- you know, McKenzie uh, uh, Johnson, Gabby Harrington, whoever might be, Sophia Styles, et he,
0: Yeah, I mean— President had a 27 and 10 against NAU And that really boosted him Because yep. even though he was Montana's Second leading scorer on Monday Against Sac State He wasn't good He missed 10 Dude. of his first 13 shots he, 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 he really struggled He struggled A lot of guys did Certainly because Derek the
1: Was the, the player of the game for Montana In terms of the hole for the Grizzlies By the way Also we should point out Without Yagi Selchuk Yagi played I think 27 minutes Against 20 plus NAU for sure, yep. And then was a DMP uh, Against uh, Southern Utah We asked Coach to care about it he was basically mum, but clearly this was a you know tweaked something and decided to give him a rest and not put him out there. This was there was, it was uh, uh, you know certainly not a, a disciplinary thing or anything like that. So uh, we'll you know keep an eye on him and and if he's able to go tonight, if he's back out there. But talk, uh, going again again a, a big team like Sacramento State not having him there, I think. I think if you would have pulled the, the Montana coaching staff in their heart of hearts before the game, they would have felt like this was a pretty tough win for them to go ahead and get, even at home, given the the matchup that they were facing and all that without Yagi. But they got it anyway. And again, Jared Samuelson getting it done.
0: Right, and, and they didn't play. I mean, Matt Anderson played one minute. Derek Carter Hollinger played, I think, five minutes. So the other yep. big guys were uh, not existing. They, they had to it. have they had to ride and Samson all the yep. way. Those guys are not big. So for them to be able to, I mean, they're not big compared to six foot nine Josh Patton, who's yeah. one of the best big guys in the league for Sac State. So, and on the other side, you know, you don't want to take anything away from Anderson because he was a great performance. But if you watch Sac State play, they press the whole game, and so the the girl who is going to be the end of the press, the the one who's not handling the ball. Against that style is going to get endless free layups if the guards don't turn the ball over. That's what Anderson yeah. did. She took advantage of it, no doubt. I mean, it's striking to see someone that was averaging, I think, five points per game in her career. I mean, I think I think she made more field goals over this weekend than she did all of last season. So it's definitely an extreme breakout performance by Abby Anderson. I do think she's a, a young lady with a lot of talent, but also you got to look at the matchup too. I mean, she, she feasted on what the matchup provided. But either way, you gotta make the shots. She did it. Well, she did it, and and. You know, again, she's
1: she's not one of the heralded heralded people. I mean, she's starting, so obviously she's you know Shannon Schwann is seeing something in her and 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 what she's done here early is impressive. But there's a lot of a lot of you know women on that team that w- whose names would rise to the top of the list if you we were just talking about them before Abby Anderson. So it's uh, you know good for her.
0: Let the Wingate by Wyndham in Missoula make you feel at home, even when you're not.
1: And Cincinnati, the number 21 ranked team in the nation, is beating down BC 24 nothing. Now Boston College has a new coach coming in. I don't know if he's coaching in this game or if they. A lot of times there's like an interim coach and all that kind of thing. But Cincinnati, man, is a good football team. I mean, they're beating down a bowl team from the ACC. And I know the ACC. You can say what you want; and it's all true. It's not. It's not good on the on the in in the Power Five sense. But to just come in and just smack. I mean, Cincinnati would be the second or third best team. They would be to me right with Virginia in terms of who they were in the ACC this year. That's an aside. That's for free. Colts are the last couple <laughs> of games. Last couple of days. Excuse me. There's been about. 10 a dozen games all the rest of the new Year's six games got played yesterday uh the sugar bowl was not very interesting to me although uh dante olson was there uh receiving an award with a group of uh, other players and uh, i know that a, a contingent of montana football folks administrators along with dante uh were there and uh, and so that is very cool but georgia 26 14 win over baylor baylor just the under man. No chance they were going to beat Georgia in that football game. The Rose Bowl stinks. Really stinks. You can't turn the ball over four times and that'd be minus three in turnovers, generally speaking, and win a football game. Montana, saw this on the Twitter, thanks to whoever sent this over, by the way. Uh, Montana racked up more yards against Oregon. Uh, 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 Let me say this differently. Montana Yes, Montana got more yards uh, against Oregon than you, than Oregon did in this game. I think that's right. I think that's I'm stay, I think I am saying that right. I'll try and check. Well, it
0: Well, yeah, because Oregon had the ball for what, like nineteen minutes. I mean, Wisconsin sat on the clock the whole game. They well, and and they kept the ball and they moved
1: the ball and they were. I thought Oregon was going to be dominant on the offensive line, and they weren't. They were they were probably better, but it was pretty even the line play between. Oregon and 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 Wisconsin and Wisconsin straight up ran the football. I mean, I thought they could have run the football. It could have run it even more than what they ended up doing, but they were moving the ball almost at will and doubled up Oregon across the board, and then turned the doggone thing over and over and over again.
0: I, I think it's so funny, like the cliches and the stereotypes that are attached to certain programs and how even when you watch the game, people refuse to acknowledge anything else. Like People just think Wisconsin just go double tight end eye formation and run it down your throat. I thought that Wisconsin's schemes, particularly defensively, are so awesome. They're mm. so high level. And I th- I just don't think that people think of that. They just think of them as like this blue-collar Midwestern team, yeah, just yeah. big offensive line, which they still have, great running backs, which they still have, yeah. but they don't get a lot of credit. I mean, all their pre-snap motions and some of their uh, weird – formations that they were running and stuff. Awesome. I thought they were really good. I thought they also they crossed up Justin Herbert. They had him completely crossed up for almost all of the game. But then a great moment for him to score the game winning touchdown and, and scoring
1: he ran for three touchdowns in this game, which is the, the big
0: the biggest knock on Herbert is that he has more often than not wilted in big moments during his career. Testament to him, the fact that he's given himself big moments often throughout his career. hmm and it's a great cap to his career, considering that they were four and eight his first year. Mark Helfridge gets fired, and Herbert sort of ascends. Could have left, and then you know this year I think that even with eleven wins, it was a by and large disappointing season for Oregon because they had real national championship and playoff, college football playoff aspirations, and yes, they, they didn't quite get there though. The loss to or uh, twelve games after the Rose Bowl win. Yeah. So uh, I mean, they lost to Auburn early, and then they lost to Arizona, Arizona State, State, right, uh-huh. uh, in the Pac-12. And I think that both of those really killed their playoff hopes. But it was cool for Oregon to go out on top like that, but also a heartbreaker for Wisconsin. Um, but I just I think that people need to move beyond the cliches, right? Like everybody talks about Alabama doing the same thing too. Alabama runs a straight spread now. Yeah, oh, I
1: mean Alabama's <laughs> just a chuck it everywhere that you want uh, type of football team. I speaking of uh, Alabama, I did watch uh, the Citrus Bowl, and to see how much better Alabama is than Michigan—not just like so, any game could be a twenty-point win by basically any team—and that that doesn't mean that it's that they're just so much better or whatever. And Alabama is not as good; they're just not as good as uh, you know Ohio State and Clemson and LSU. Although they, they played LSU tough, but they did lose at home. But to watch the speed guys run by everybody wearing maize and blue as if they are statues anchored down into cement on the yard, it's just remarkable. If there's a catch made by a wide receiver who's got more than about, I don't know, five feet of space, it's a house call. An absolute house call. And it was remarkable. It came out in the second half and it was just, oh, no chance. No chance. It looked like Usain Bolt. You know, the, he doesn't get out of the blocks right away. Sometimes, and the first twenty meters, there's like he's not even in the lead. And then you know, pulls even. And then at some point, eighty meters in, he's just coasting. That's what that's what Alabama was to Michigan. Michigan man, I, I don't know, man.
0: More bull wins this century so far for Rutgers than Michigan. How about that? Yeah. Well, Rutgers was good at one stage. They were. Um, this is why I have such a hard time with all this stuff, though. Because why? the fact that there's not a real playoff, like, I don't, I know Georgia is better than Baylor. Mm-hmm. No, so I, so I don't care to watch it because they're just going to win. But here's the thing there's, let's, like, who did let's, you, was there any chance that Michigan was going to beat Alabama? Any, no, none, no, none. No. none, No. So why not give me a playoff? Huh?
1: So here's the thing. I, you know that I'm with you on the playoffs, you know that I'm with you. So I'm not arguing that point. Here's what I'm saying is in any given bowl season, there's going to be, there's what, you know, I'm, I'm estimating 40 games. It's not that many, but there's close to 40 bowls. Right. Okay. There's a handful of them that are absolutely circle your deal, including the national semifinals. But then a couple, I thought the Rose bowl was a hugely intriguing matchup between those two teams. Definitely. And, uh, uh, I thought Texas-Utah was going to be a really interesting, fun game. It turned out not to be. Texas just
0: burned the house down. And we talked about last segment about like basketball teams that are ready to be done playing. Yeah. How ready was Utah to Utah, be done playing? Utah, as soon as the playoff picture was closed as, for them... As soon as they lost the Pac-12
1: championship game, this, this thing was done. So... So you get those games that are clunkers, even though you had them as, you know, games that you might want to watch. But then if you're paying attention and you're not doing anything, to have a football game on that all of a sudden might get real, like Navy Kansas State, which was an unbelievable game. Nobody cares about Navy and Kansas State by and large. Okay, I get it. And I don't. I got no, you know, I got nothing of interest of either of these schools to me particularly, but the game was great. It was a 2017 game that should have been won and by by Kansas State and then wasn't. Heck, watching Western Michigan lose to Western Kentucky, very disappointing to me as a Bronco alum. Western Michigan on third and one does an RPO, which the quarterback <laughs> rightly pulls it out of the stomach of the running back and has wide open spaces, 60 seconds left to go in a tie football game. On, on the opposing 30, on the Hilltoppers 30-yard line, you know what he does, Coulter? Rolling out? trips and falls over, two yards behind the line of scrimmage. They go for it on fourth down. Don't get it. The Hilltoppers get the ball back, move down the field, have a 57-yard field goal attempt, and there's 12 men on the field for Western Michigan. So now an untimed down from 52, bang away, and Western
0: Kentucky wins. Great football game. I don't even know which ball it was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's just so much I want to say, but I just don't want to start off the new year just like a complete curmudgeon. Well, I like mean, when you watch the Rose Bowl and they pan out over the the skyscape and the stadium is full and it's this beautiful, beautiful day. day, yeah, yeah, I love the pageantry and I love the ceremony of it and I love the tradition of it, but it's also just impossible for me to think. This is exactly the same thing as professional sports, and we are pinning it as amateur sports through the lens of some sort of institution of higher education so that we can exploit an alumni group for their money. It's crazy. It's just pro football. I would love it (laughs) if we would just call it that. Call it pro football with an age limit because that's exactly what it is. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I, you that's that's always I mean okay
1: I'm not saying no to any of that that you said, but that doesn't. When
0: I'm watching the Rose Bowl, I'm loving every second of it, and I will say oh, I, I love the entertainment value of it. I just it's okay. just so man. The, this the the totality of the system is broken for many different reasons. It's yes. not just the broad stroke of the absence of a playoff. It's not just the the. Inequality when it comes to money. It's just it's a very different system. Every tier of college football that you go down, and I just wish that it was painted like it actually is. Because people love this stuff because of the pageantry and because of the association, but they neglect to truly fathom the amount of money. And that and that's the part that it just it drives me crazy. Okay. Doesn't hurt me.
1: I'm all into it.
0: So ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more
1: information, visit goblackfoot.com slash business. That's goblackfoot.com slash business. And you can click the link right here in the old podcast. We've made it so very easy for you. Go visit and find out how to keep your business or the business of people you know secure online with Blackfoot. Go ahead and check us out on the uh, Twitters at 1029ESPN on Twitter and Instagram. At Skyline Sports MT and at Gus Hutel on Twitter right now. At Gus Hutel. Also, if you uh, don't want to call, you want to just tweet your uh, New Year's resolutions. You can do it there, uh, and uh, and we will get it and we will discuss here in about fifteen minutes from now. But Coulter, right now, I got great news. I I was I was I was I thought I was sad yesterday at a point because I thought the bull season was basically over except for the national championship. But I was so wrong. There's another five games, one going on right now, an absolute barn burner, 24 to six at the end of three, Cincinnati beating Boston college. So Boston college uh, needs a mere two touchdowns, couple two point conversions and field goal to get back into this thing. I like their chances. Now, granted that this game is already, uh, you know, a quarter from being completed. Which of these bowl games to you is most watchable? And I, Cannot wait to hear what you have to say about this. The Ticketmaster Birmingham Bowl, which is right now. The Tax Slayer Gator Bowl between Indiana and Tennessee. Tennessee, who lost to Georgia State and then lost to BYU, but then pulled it out of the fire. How about the Tennessee Volunteers making it, in a sense, bull eligible. Famous Idaho Potato Bowl between Ohio and Nevada. Over there, and boys, we could drive to it. We could go watch it in person. Colter, the uh, Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl between Southern Miss and Tulane, and then the Lending Tree Bowl. They didn't even they didn't even try to make it uh, something other than th- about the sponsor here. The Lending Tree Bowl, which is this Monday between Louisiana uh, and Miami of Ohio, Louisiana, like Louisiana. Louisiana Tech?
0: Louisiana? No, Louisiana. They used to be called Louisiana Lafayette. Oh, yeah. They dropped that for whatever
1: reason. It's the Raging Cajuns. The Raging Cajuns. Cajuns. Um, I can tell you the game that I'm the least interested in, and that's Southern Miss Tulane. I don't know why. I'm just not interested in it. I'm always about the famous Idaho Potato Bowl. I think it's one of the great bowls that exists. And the fact that you got a Mac team versus Nevada Reno, the Wolfpack and the Bobcats? I'm into that. That is that is market can't miss TV. You have the Raging Cajuns and another MAC team, Miami of Ohio on a Monday night. I'm into that as well. Coulter, to you, what's your favorite of
0: all of these? Indiana, Tennessee, Big Ten SEC? I mean, I'm rapidly scrolling through the list of the top 100 NFL prospects in the for uh, the NFL because my choice will be whoever has the first player listed. And of these teams, <laughs> A.J. Dillon running back from Boston College currently listed as the number 43 prospect in next year's NFL draft. So I'm picking that game because I only want to watch the guys that are going to go to the league. Well, it's on right now, and uh-huh. he's
1: not doing much because his team is losing by 18 as they uh-huh. uh, head into the fourth quarter. I don't know what to tell you about that. A.J. who?
0: A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon. The mighty... 43 is pretty good. I mean, that's a high second-round pick. This list is crazy. Every single one of these guys is from Georgia, Alabama, LSU, and Clemson. If the... How
1: many teams should the playoff be? 16. See, I, I think it should be 12. It should be 12 teams. Top four with a bye. Okay and do it like that. You are always screaming at me about the money associated with this thing and that you all you need to know is how much money these programs invest and then therefore you know who's good and that's why it's all meaningless and never worth watching. Yes. You're, I, I, you're wrong about this. The teams that put a ton of money into it are, let's put it like this, the teams that don't have the money put into it almost certainly can't be good, right. but there's a lot of schools that put a ton of money into it that are also not good. Well, well, right. Texas A&M, right.
0: At Florida State? Totally. Texas? So, so how is that compelling me to watch this? I want to watch the teams that spend more money suck? That sounds even worse. <laughs> No,
1: the reason is is because you're always sitting here going, I don't need to watch because I already know who's going to win. That's what you say to me all the time, but you don't. There's a bunch of teams that should be good and aren't good, and then there's a bunch of teams that should be good and are good. And we did you would have never guessed, right? That Alabama, short of not being in the national championship, was not going to be in the playoff, and you would have never guessed that I mean, you would have guessed certainly that Clemson, Ohio, but that LSU might be there. Now they they are blue blood amongst blue bloods. Okay, Their LSU has had it has been football, you know, ground jewels for a long, long time. I'm not saying they haven't been, but also coming into this year to say that LSU, who is a perennially I don't know, a top 14 to top eight or seven type of football team was going to be the number one team and the leader in this thing, you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have guessed that. You wouldn't have filled that out. And so that's why I'm saying it does matter. And it is interesting. And watching the Iron Bowl and how that played out, or LSU Alabama and how that played out to get us to this point, that stuff was all interesting to me.
0: Well, I think that is interesting. I think the addition of the best quarterback that they've had in 20 years or maybe ever in Joe Burrow is a phenomenally interesting story. I think Ed Orgeron and his volatility that then somehow blossomed into the number one, the, the right num- guy in the right The place. number one team yep. in the country. I think that's fascinating. I I, I like the, the, the best of the best. I, I just... I watched the Rose Bowl intently yesterday. I liked it. I like the New Year's Six Bowls. I like those. I just wish there was like something more after that. Totally. Like, I would love to see Oregon, after winning that game and gutting it out, play again. And play someone... Wisconsin's very good. But play Georgia. Play Alabama. Play LSU. Play Clemson. Play Ohio State. I would love to see that. I had a small epiphany
1: yesterday, okay? And I don't think that people, when they hear this initially, are going to like this. But I like this, okay? We are so accustomed to we have our seeds and the top seeds get the buys and they get the you know the advantage and all that and then you know so on and you play your tournament whatever it is that's all that's all fun the rose bowl is the one bowl that i can say sincerely has not lost any of the shine to me in virtue of me knowing that there's a playoff in addition to it and knowing that in, in prior to the quote playoff it would have been ohio state playing against oregon in that football game as opposed to wisconsin Okay, and even though yes, I have Wisconsin, you know, family roots, the, I, I still will watch the Rose Bowl. I don't care who's playing in the Rose Bowl, and I don't care if they're just the quote second best team in their conference or whatever. I think it still is a great game, and the setting and the history of it all, I love it.
0: Don't you think that the, the it hasn't it's lost less prestige than the other bowls because a Pac-12 team has rarely made the playoffs, and we just know that the, if a Big Ten team makes it, it's just going to be Ohio State. I mean. so is that your- was <laughs> your Burn Street Bistro burn of the week. You know what I'm saying? Like we it's it's a lot of the other Bulls We know it's gonna be one of the two best teams in the Pac twelve and one of the two best teams from the Big yep. Ten. And they have not delineated out of that. And mostly it's just because the best picks still are from the conferences and Georgia Baylor did
1: zero for me right. last night. Zero. In fact, I would actually say that the, the fact that it was the Sugar Bowl actually made it a more, I, like, if it would have just been Georgia Baylor, I would have been even less interested than I was because it was the Sugar Bowl that added an element to it. Here's all I'm saying, though. Rather than creating a tournament, be it 12 teams, be it eight teams, whatever, that has your one through 12 seeds, and then you set them up and you play the games, I, in order to keep the Bulls the bowls. Just let the winner of the Pac-12 play the winner of the Big Ten in the Rose Bowl in a tournament game, and that team moves on. And yes, you will not have a seating that matches the perceived rankings that you would have, but the Bulls would remain intact in the way that they have always been. The tradition, the pattern, you're still going to say Rose Bowl champion. And, and it makes sense in the history of the deal and then you move on and if it's number two playing number five in the first round of a quote unquote playoff so be it so be it that doesn't bother me I'm not saying that's the way that it has to be I think it would be fun though if in the Sugar Bowl you just had the the, the best SEC team against the best Big 12 team and then yeah okay are there going to be a couple of eight or nine or ten seeds that end up finding their way into the second round of the playoffs that wouldn't have been there probably sure Okay, they're probably still not going to be there after the second weekend, but I think that would be a lot of fun. And then you don't have to worry even about the numbers associated with it. You just get the bowl games,
0: but it's within the context of a tournament. Yeah, I mean, that would be my biggest, uh, I would advocate for that exact solution.
1: 31-6 Cincinnati up on Boston College, the Birmingham Bowl. Spreading out now, 25-point lead for the Bearcats. 2 tell the one is 1029 ESPN Radio. Hey, Happy New Year. Call us, 329-1899, 329-1899. Tell us your resolutions or tell us the resolutions that we should have. We will take your calls right after this.
2: Whether you're traveling to Missoula for business, a family visit, or to watch the Grizz game, the Wingate wants to be your home away from home. Call the Wingate to find out how we can take care of your next trip to Missoula. From conference rooms to great complimentary breakfast to an indoor water park, we have what you need and what you want when traveling. The Wingate of Missoula is a proud supporter of Grizzly and Lady Grizz athletics, and we look forward to making you feel at home when you're not.